The Old Testament reading is from Job chapter 38. The Lord said to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its feathers stand out like a garment. From the, the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans, chapter 10. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. A reading from Matthew chapter 14. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, 
command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. This morning as we make our way through our message, it's good for us to remember that God is good all the time. So in the message, at times I will say, God is good. And you will say, good, okay. We got that figured out, so now we can move on. So this passage from the book of Job uh, is a portion of the book in which God is speaking directly to Job. As you might recall, Job had been struck with a horrendous calamity and been experiencing terrible suffering. He had lost his wife, who told him to curse God and die. That didn't sound so good. He was struck with a personal ailment, wounds on his body that would not heal, and that caused him immense pain. He had lost his children. He had lost his fortune. He had lost his home and his honor. And as a result, Job, well, he had done some complaining and had questioned whether God was always just. He wondered if God is good. Okay. I'm glad you're paying attention. Okay. So, in response, God answers Job as his role as the creator and sustainer of the world that his ways are always above our human ways and that his power surpasses human power. So if we are to think about this then, that as God rules the entire world and specifically over the human race, we are led to consider that God's rule in this world is total and it affects unbelievers and believers. So God is good to all people, always. So, God has total rule and control of all aspects of his creation. A wave on the ocean does not occur without his blessing. God reminds Job of this reality. This means that what God does and what God plans does indeed take place. Nothing can stop his will from being accomplished. Why is that? Because our God is what? Almighty, right? He's omnipotent. His power exceeds any other power. And our text emphasizes God's power and authority. And because God is almighty, in other words, he is greater than anything else, his power exceeds any other power. And God's rule is good because he has infinite 
perfect wisdom. God's wisdom is above our wisdom, and his understanding is greater than ours. Which truth is what God is helping Job to understand. Thus, if we are to take this whole idea and understanding that God is good does not make mistakes, does he? God rules in a holy, just, and righteous way. God does not reign in a mean-spirited manner, but rather has a wonderful master plan. And God's ruling is everything for the welfare of his church, as Scripture reveals. So, just a little bit as my microphone kind of goes in and out here on us, but hopefully you can hear me. So we're going to break this down a little bit about the good rule of God and how it affects unbelievers, okay, because we're going to get to believers, us, in just a minute, but first let's talk about those who are not yet of the faith. I mean, God wants unbelievers, those who are wicked in our text, to repent, and to be saved. Because God is merciful, he is patient, and at times a wicked man continues on in his sinful way and might even prosper. But the wicked, say, I'm going to turn on this other mic, Karen, so that you can hear me well. Okay, so God is merciful and patient even when evil people seem to prosper in this world. And the wicked will eventually not get away with anything because God is all-seeing, all-knowing. And according to God's own timetable, he will send his righteous judgments against the unbeliever who persists in his rebellion against God. So you and I, we see that the good rule of God affects an unbeliever. But yet there are also distinctions with God's impending judgment because his judgment is always tempered yet with mercy. With some unbelievers, God's action will affect them negatively in this life and will result in their destruction in the life to come. But others, however, the judgments will work to shatter their stubbornness and self-righteousness and make them ready to hear the gospel, through which they'll be brought to faith and salvation. So let's think about that. As an unbeliever who has no idea about God, who thinks that they just do everything themselves, and every good and right thing happens because they're just a good person. Okay? And even if they're a mean-spirited enemy who does despicable things, but collects all the grandeur of this world, God's judgment will fall upon them. And sometimes his thundering two-by-four of law and judgment will come and it will pierce that unbeliever's heart so that they know what they're doing is wrong and repent. Others, though, that two-by-four hits, and it pierces, and it brings death because of the stubbornness of the individual. 
you and I, we've noticed this at times because sometimes, you know, when we are pounding a nail into wood, occasionally that wood will split because of that nail. Sometimes when we are building something and putting it together and, and trying to get it to go, there is a weakness that that wood has that causes it to break. God wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. But sometimes a person's willful stubbornness keeps them from the arms of our loving God. And in all of this, God is still good. Okay. See, God is only bringing his word to bear on an unbeliever, to give a judgment on sin, because sin offends our God. So our God is still good all the time, even in his time of judgment, because sin is to be condemned. It is against God. And so ultimately, in his dealing with all the unbelievers, God is ultimately working for the good of his church. The book of Job says, God makes nations great and he destroys them. And after the Israelites conquered Canaan back in the history of God's people, and as they settled the land, many began to practice what? The idolatry of their pagan neighbors. God let those other Gentile nations and people conquer and rule over portions of Israel. Their rulers threatened the Israelites in a harsh manner. And what happened? It made God's people, the Israelites, cry out to the Lord that he might save them from the consequences of their sin, that the Lord would rescue them as they had true, sincere repentance and God in his grace and mercy would then remember his covenant and end the rule of that pagan nation oppressing the Israelites. You see how God uses things for the good of bringing more people to faith? Even when his people even fall into disbelief, fall into pagan and unholy ways, God has a way of bringing them around. And so we've talked a lot about the unbeliever and how God is good all the time. How does now the God affect the believer? Well, God blesses us richly, right? With both spiritual and physical blessings. We get that from the book of Job because what happened? God's blessing was on Job in the beginning of the book. And guess what? At the end of the book, God's blessing is on him again. God didn't let go of Job through it all, but Job, he suffered because there was something hard about his faith, something that was not quite fully focused in on the mercy and joy of God. And so God allows calamities and sadnesses to come into the lives of his believers. And many times those afflictions are disguised blessings. 
Now that's a hard one for you and I. How can a disease be a blessing? How can a loved one's death be a blessing? Well, maybe that loved one was taken home early in our eyes because God in his foreknowledge knew that that person's faith was getting dim and they needed to get home right away. Sort of like a wounded lamb who the shepherd goes out and grabs and brings home rejoicing. And so God in his way is always better than our ways. And so you and I, even when we are afflicted and when things happen to us that make us weak, that helps us to turn more firmly to God, to trust in him. I mean, let's face it, we are not so good at proclaiming God's greatness when good things happen to us because we just kind of rejoice and party and do our own thing. But when something bad rears its head, Boy, are we quick to call on the Lord, right? And so God uses in this world of sin, he uses those things that we might call negative or against what we would call good for our benefit. And God's ways are always good, right? And so if we remember that sometimes suffering and sadness can be even for our good. It's not to bring us low in faith, but rather to build our faith on something that we can trust always. And so you and I are being used in this world sometimes as an example to the world that sometimes we need, as God's people, discipline. And this has the effect on a believer of doing what? It drives us to God's word, to his promises, to his good news of Jesus and our salvation. One of those kind of times is brought out in the life of David. Remember, David had committed grievous sins and was brought to repentance and spiritual restoration through the word of God spoken by the prophet Nathan. But he still had to deal with the discipline from God. And that corrective discipline was something that benefited David so that he grew spiritually. If you read Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, know that that was a psalm of David's repentance. And so David becomes this golden standard by which later kings of Israel were measured. Another example is that some of the Christian uh, Christians in the early church, in the church of Corinth, were going to the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were disciplined by God so that they would repent and not be lost spiritually and condemned to hell. So we can always say that in the trials in a believer's life, they will work for the refining of our faith. Again, always as a believer, turning to God's word and his promise for us. And you know, you and I, as good as we may be, there's always something better for us to be, that there's always a time for being gooder, right? 
because we're not good in and of ourselves. And in the life of Job, we hear that he's a righteous, godly man. But as that book unfolds, we see some rough edges to his faith. He protests a little bit too much, we think, of his being innocent of any wrongdoing. And he gives evidence of being tainted somewhat by what we would call a theology of glory. You might say, well, what is that theology of glory? The belief that a godly life means earthly prosperity. That's the life of a belief of glory. But you and I, we realize that it's in our weakness that we are strong. That it's in times of difficulty that we turn to our God who is all-powerful. Peter in our gospel today, when he was weak, who is it that raised him up out of the water? Jesus. Because guess what? God is good. And so this key message of the book of Job is that we might not know, at least at first, the full reason or all the reasons why believers suffer. I mean, Jesus himself said, take up your cross and follow me. Job, we know, was not aware of that conversation between God and Satan at the start of that book, of the contest between the two and how God's purpose prevailed with God proclaiming Job a trophy of his own grace. That grace did not come from Job, but from God's promise to him. And so you and I, we see Job today as a powerful statement for us. You know, we often, when things happen to us, we ask that three-letter question, why? Why is this happening? And often, we won't have a complete answer to that question until we get to heaven ourselves. Therefore, when you ask that question, that why question, you can tell yourself that somehow this suffering has to be in God's good master plan and his wise governing of all things, that God is good all the time even when I'm suffering, even when I'm down on my knees and can't move, even when the pain is so great, my heart almost rends, God is still good all the time. And when we question that, when we have those questions of, you know, why should I trust the Lord? May we always point to the cross we believe because of the cross of Jesus. That is where God reveals his nature for us. The unbelievable, undeniable, everlasting proof of his love for us. And because of that cross and empty tomb, we can be absolutely certain of our salvation, that God is for me and I can trust in his rule. So, when dark days come, when fire drills happen, 
when life provides peril and concern, may you and I not look our heart and see what we might have done wrong, but rather may we point to the cross of Christ and understand that he has forgiven us for all things. And it's there where our hope is, that Jesus does not stay in the tomb, but rises again to new life. And we are forgiven people. Folks, we know. We know the truth. We know that God is for us, so who can stand against us? We know that he will never steer us wrong, that he is good all the time. And I didn't even say God that time. See, you've caught on here. See, if we could just keep that message flowing through our head at all times and in all places, that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guide our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you.